Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. As a new command I give to you, love one another as I love I loved you. So you must love another. By this, is, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you if you love one another. Thanks, Becky, and hi, Creekside. It is great to be among you once more. Uh, for those who don't know, during the week, my name is Mr. D, but uh, for today, I am Sam. Today only, Carmichael students. Don't go getting ideas above your station, please. And as is the case for all of the chapel talks that I've been giving at Carmichael College for almost the last seven years, I'm going to start today's talk uh, how I start so many of the talks that I've given, and that is with a dark confession. It's a strange twist to the format, but we'll give it a go. Here's my dark confession today. I have a terrible weakness. I have a terrible weakness for the news. Maybe there are adults in the room who can relate to this weakness, but when it comes to headlines uh, and online media sites, I can't look away. I'm transfixed. I'm like a deer in the headlights, and all I can do is imbibe hour after hour of news headlines. And the thing about news is, especially in the modern day, it's not so much about keeping you informed as to the current events as much as it is making you afraid. It's kind of its mission. That's what the news organizations set out to do. That's why they have these extreme and scandalous and salacious headlines. And the object is to make the reader, to make the viewer feel afraid and anxious and scared. So you might think, well, why do you, why do you look at it, Mr. D? Why do you look at it? If its objective is to make you afraid, well, I don't know. It's just a very difficult thing to look away from. So if you should see me holding my phone with my face uplit in some ghoulish blue light with a look or a manner of deep anxiety, nail-chewing fear, you have my permission to come up and say, Mr. D, put the device down. Go and get some sunshine. You clearly need it. Get out there, put it down, and go. And so when Mr. Ginn and Mrs. Sims and Mrs. Crump came before me and said, Mr. D, this Sunday, you can speak about anything you want to speak about today. I thought, all right, I can use this as an opportunity to help myself to actually proclaim the goodness of God's good news into my life because the news lately has been particularly bad and I have been particularly weak in involving myself in it more than is healthy. So I'm feeling a bit anxious. I'm feeling a bit afraid. So I threw open God's Word, and I discovered this, that in the book of 1 John chapter 4, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Ah, that's the answer. That's the solution to fear. It's love. Love is great. There's a little-known band from way ago called the Beatles, or the Beatles. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that wrong. They were way before my time. It doesn't matter. And they had a pretty popular song, and it went... All you need is love. Ah, thank you, fogies. I was counting on you to do the instrumental part. I appreciate that. I was kind of hoping that actually some of you would stand up with trombones like in the movie Love Actually. But in retrospect, that might have been a bit too much to hope for. Nevertheless, I'm glad you know it. All you need is love. It's a great song. It's a great sentiment. All you need is love. Yeah, that sounds about right. The problem is, if you were to ask people what love is. If you were to ask 100 people what love is, 
you would probably get 100 different answers. And they'd all be right to some degree. There'd be elements of truth to all those answers. But if you want to know the actual definition, you need to go to the source. You need to go to God's Word. It says in, once again, 1 John. I actually use a lot of 1 John today. It's a great book. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He's not just the inventor of love. He didn't just come up with the idea of love, the concept, the experience, the emotion. He is the very essence of love. God is love itself. You go, okay, wow, that's pretty compelling. Can I know more? What does that look like practically? How do I work that out? Well, looking further into Scripture, it says in Colossians 1 that the Son, that is Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God's love looks like, you look at the story and the life and the testimony of Jesus Christ, and then you will know exactly what it means to be love. And that is what we're going to explore today. If you've read the Gospels, the good news of Jesus Christ, the record of his life on the earth, you'll know that he did a lot of loving. That you could hardly throw open the first four books of the New Testament and stab your finger down blindly. And if you were to look, you'll see Jesus is expressing the love of God in some capacity. Let's take a look at it today. You will know that at many points in his life on the earth, Jesus was surrounded by needy, needy people. 2,000 years ago, there was not the world-class health system we enjoy here in the modern West. People got sick. And when they got sick, they rarely got better because there weren't many people around there to help them to get better. They didn't have the technology. They didn't have the expertise. And so if you were sick, you just had to suck it up and deal with it. Even if you were chronically sick all of the time, even if you had horrible injuries, there was not a lot that could be done for you. But Jesus, being possessed of the power of God, was able to heal with a touch, with a word. And if you knew about a guy like that and you were super sick, you'd want to get close to him. And people got close to him. They surrounded him all the time, reaching out saying, Lord, Lord, I'm sick, I'm hurting, I'm broken, please heal me. And it says in Matthew 14, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. I love that word compassion. The prefix com means together. We see it in the word community or communication. The word passion means pain. So compassion literally means entering into somebody else's pain. And that's exactly what he did. Though he was a busy guy on a big mission, he never failed to take the opportunity to crouch down before these sick, hurting, needy people, enter into their pain in his compassion and bring life, bring restoration, bring joy, and cast away their fears. The Bible often records that Jesus found this exhausting. The hours turned into days sometimes, and he would find himself constantly healing people one after the other. The line would stretch Disneyland-like across the horizon, and he would still persevere in healing them in his compassion, in his love. There is an even occasion in Scripture where Jesus is walking toward a city, and he encounters a group of lepers. Who's heard of the disease known as leprosy before? Yeah, then you'll know it's one of the nastiest diseases on the earth Luckily, in our day, it's been mostly eradicated. It's pretty much gone. But in Jesus' day, it was running rampant. It's a nerve disease. That means if you get it, you stop feeling. You don't feel warm. You don't feel cold. You don't feel pleasure. You don't feel pain. You don't feel anything at all. And pretty soon, bits of you start to fall away. Oh, oh my gosh. 
Oh, yes, Phoenix, yes, terrific. Look, oh, ghastly. You're quite right. Horrible. And because it was a spreading disease, a catching disease, if you had leprosy, you were required to leave the city, wrap yourself in bandages, and the best hope you had was to beg for people to give you money or food. You'd have to declare yourself to be unclean, unclean. Well, Jesus was passing by 10 of these guys one day, and they said, unclean, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And Jesus walked straight up to them. In his compassion, he entered into their pain, and through a healing work, was able to restore all of them. He gave of himself. He risked a lot to go near such diseased people, but he didn't even see their disease. He only saw their piteous plight, and he had compassion upon them. There was another occasion in Jesus' life where he'd entered into a town, and by this time, his rep was off the charts. People knew all about this healing man who had the wisdom, the very words of God in his mouth, and they wanted a piece of that action. And so as he entered the town, people gathered around. They lined the streets. One guy wanted to have a look. His name was Zacchaeus. He was the least popular guy in this town. Maybe you know some unpopular people. They could not have been less popular than Zacchaeus because he was a tax collector. He took your money for a living. Not only did he take your money, he took it on behalf of the Roman occupiers whom everybody hated, and he took a little extra off the top for himself. So he was the thief and a cheat in addition to being a traitor. People would not go near this guy. They crossed the road whenever he was walking down the street. And as if he didn't have it bad enough, he was also super short. We're talking short, okay? He was a little, little dude. And he wanted a glimpse of Jesus as well, but of course, with everyone's big hulking shoulders in the way, he could not get a glimpse. And so he did the only thing he could think to do. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, and he edged his way out onto a branch overlooking the road, and he peered down at Jesus. One thing he didn't anticipate was that Jesus would look straight back up at him and still less again say, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must have lunch at your house today. Zacchaeus found this absolutely gobsmacking, as did everyone around him. Why on earth is this wise, gentle, and pure teacher man associating with such a rotten guy. Well, Jesus and Zacchaeus went behind closed doors. The Bible doesn't record what happened there, what they said. But when Zacchaeus came out, he was a different person. He promised to everyone spectating that if he had cheated them in any specific way, he would refund them their money four times what he nicked. His heart was completely restored, all because Jesus took a great risk. He risked the unpopularity and the dismissal of the crowd to reach into the life of one who was hated, despised, and left out because of the decisions that he had made. Jesus took a risk and gave of himself to love this person, and his love was transformative. There's another story that I'll share with you, a final one right now. It's actually my favorite story in all of the Bible. I look for opportunities to share this story with as many people as I can, as often as I can. Whenever I feel as though my sin is too big for God to handle, I use this story as my north star to get my bearings and remember exactly what kind of God I serve. Jesus was having lunch with some VIP. What does VIP stand for? VIP, VIP. Very irritating people, yes. They were that, my friend. What else could it stand for while still being true? Very important people. Well done, what a dynamic duo you two are. Yes, very important and very irritating into the bargain. He was sitting down with some religious teachers and scholars. He was having lunch with them 
when the unthinkable happened. <gasps> a woman walked in. Scandal! That might not sound particularly shocking to you these days. There are a lot of women here, and praise God. But back in those days, men and women did not associate with each other in the public square. So to have a woman walk in was a scandal in itself. But to make matters worse, this woman had a terrible reputation. Everybody knew about the decisions that she had made in her life, and they had singled her out as someone uniquely awful whom you must not associate with, whom you must not show any care toward at all. She is to be despised, rejected, and ignored. And yet she came into the room, and everyone gasped. And Jesus watched carefully as she knelt down before him, weeping because her sin was so great and Jesus so good, the contrast had broken her heart. And the Bible records that she wept so hard that tears fell from her face onto his toes, and she washed his feet with her tears and dried those feet with her hair. And though the VIP were disgusted by this display, Jesus tuned them out. He looked straight through the decisions that she had made, straight through the sin that had blighted her life, straight through the rottenness that had destroyed her reputation, and he saw the heart of a child. He saw the heart of his child. And when the father looks upon the child, all that he feels is love. And he said to her, Daughter, you are forgiven for all you've done. How could I do anything but love you? For, not because who you are, but because who I've made you to be. I am the one who brought you into existence, and I will never not love you. You are clean because I say so. And though the VIP were horrified, it mattered not. Jesus' compassion was on display to such a degree that like Zacchaeus and like the lepers, her life would never be the same. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, the great spirit that bonds and binds these stories together is that Jesus' love risked much. In loving others, Jesus gave much. And no, or rather, it's no better on display, this risk, this sense of giving, this sense of sacrifice than on the cross. Jesus loved so much, Jesus was prepared to give so much, Jesus was prepared to risk so much that he gave himself for you and I. The Bible records in that famous passage, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to death on a cross so that all of us might be brought back into the family of God. All we who had gone astray could be reconciled to the Father. Thanks to Jesus' radical, reckless, selfless, and above all, sacrificial love. Here's the kicker. After Jesus, or just before Jesus had gone away, he said to his disciples, and by extension, you and I, a new command I give you. This was read so beautifully by Becky. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You might think, wow, how could I possibly love like that? I couldn't risk that much. I couldn't give that much. I couldn't put myself in those extreme situations to show another that they have value. Could I? Well, the good news is this. If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you have declared Jesus to be the king of your life, the Bible records that you've received his Holy Spirit. The very person 
the very power that Jesus himself had to look past the risk, to set aside the sacrifice, and to enter into the lives of another to show them that they have value and that they do not need to be afraid. In fact, it says in the book of Galatians, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you have Jesus in your heart, before long you won't be able to help but to show the kind of love that he showed during his ministry on the earth. And that has always been our prayer, certainly for the students of Carmichael College, but by extension, the Creekside family, Morrifield, Narangbar, Morton Bay, the great wide world or the corner that God has given us to share his love with, that we love one another, not by our own strength, but by the unlimited strength and power he gives us through his Holy Spirit. It says in Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Above myself? but I'm the most important person in my life. That's an attitude that so many people possess, but which starts to get worn away the longer you know Jesus and the more he works through and in your heart and life. Jesus honored and loved others above his own needs. Not to say we don't care about ourselves, because we have value too, but the essence of Jesus' love is valuing the needs of others above and beyond your own. And that is where you get the power and the compulsion to enter into the pain of others. So for you Carmichael students and for you families at large, in these fearful times, in these isolated times, in these polarized times, how long has it been since you've exercised the work of the Holy Spirit in your own lives, stepped out of your own needs, looked away from your own concerns and anxieties, and entered into the pain and concerns and anxieties of another? If you do, you will bring enormous light to the world we will be the light of the world on behalf of the light of the world. That's our prayer for all of you today. In fact, I'm going to pray it now. I'm going to pray that we can love like Jesus, for his love for us is absolutely off the charts, and we want to be agents, we want to be vehicles, we want to be vessels for that same kind of love in our community. So why don't you bow your heads with me, because we're coming before the King of Kings. We're going to close our eyes to concentrate on the Lord of Lords, whose reckless, giving, sacrificial love for us puts us in debit. Now we have the responsibility, the obligation, and the great privilege and blessing of sharing that love with everybody else. It can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit, so let's ask for an extra measure of him now. Dear Lord Jesus, you are love. Thousand different people have a thousand different definitions of what love is, Lord God, but they're all echoes, they're all imitations of what love truly is. Lord, you are love. And your love is a generous love. Your love is an outward-focused love. Your love is a love that is not afraid to risk humiliation, unpopularity, pain, or even death if it means restoring, cherishing, and re redeeming and lifting up others, Lord God, casting fear out from their lives and letting as many people as possible know that you are for them, you are not against them, that they are not a mistake, but they are uniquely called to be a part of your family. Lord, this is what we want for everybody. And for those of us who've forgotten, people like me, Lord God, who fixate upon all the bad news and the things to be afraid of in this world, I ask that you forgive us for going off the, off the path, Lord God, for going astray, and instead you get us back on mission. You focus our eyes upon you so that the fear melts away and we become compelled to show your love to anyone who wants it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Hey, thanks everyone. What a privilege it is to share with you. I will see you students during the week. Parents and families, thanks again. Always a privilege.